Livingston Mitchell. These are my stories. Hi, folks. Having a good day today. Let me the first welcome you to Autism Rocks and Rolls. Now, before we begin, I must note that I'm not a psychiatrist. If you're starting to be diagnosed with autism, please see a physician, at least based on my experiences. I also want to write to the Intro Natural. They have found on YTMP3.com. I also have a mission statement I attribute with all of you. The mission of Autism Rocks and Rolls is to take the stigma off of autism and other conditions that may think are disabilities. People on spectrum are not broken and do not need to be fixed. Those who have conditions or abilities aren't to be pitied. There's nothing to be sorry about. I also have some people I'd like to thank. As always, we must travel to the deep heart of Texas and thank Colby Stamport, the autistic cowboy. And C243, meet the autistic cowboy or Colby Stamport for more information. But what an informative guest with some great knowledge to share. My next thank you is to someone who I looked up to and who has sadly passed away in the professional wrestling world. The man I am referring to is Bray Wyatt. Bray Wyatt was known to many as the fiend, the eater of worlds, and the new face of fear. But to me, your connection with the WWE Universe and me goes beyond that. Back when I saw you in 2015, I saw a character that I could look up to. I wish I could have met you behind the cameras. Thank you, Bray, and I hope you are following the buzzards. Our friend Tamira Telles will be hosting another retreat on September 30th in Charleston, South Carolina. While we cannot come, we do wish her success and make sure to go if you are in the South Carolina area. It will be an amazing time. There is a connection that needs to be brought up, and that is Tony Kaufman from Standout Stars Speaking Agency. The best resource for connecting, marketing, and generating income from trainers, writers, and company owners and Standout Stars. They combine the power of an experienced media and marketing staff with a network of passion entrepreneurs that frequently appear on webinars and virtual events by implementing technology to make it easier to connect with the right partners. The Standout Stars Speakers Bureau has the tools and resources you need to successfully convey your message and widen your network. It is possible that you will hear his name more often down the road. Also, we had our monthly board meeting. In addition to welcoming Aaron Patrick Smith and Abe Shapiro to the board, we also welcome Carly Pellet as our newest intern. We eagerly anticipate their involvement. I've also done two speed networking events. The first was a brand new clubhouse room called Why Do You Do? This room was about telling the other people in the room why you do your occupation. The second was the classic informative roundtable. I saw some old friends, but I also collected some new ones too. And since the last episode, I've been on the Nina I Am Not My Illness podcast with Nina herself. What a great podcast, everyone. Now, folks, we right back right here an ad from the barn on Maryland Ridge. So let's get to it. There is a hidden gym in eastern Greene County, folks. Fowler's Pumpkin Patch and the Barn on Maryland Ridge Wedding Barn. Autism Rocks and Rolls is very proud to tell you about our friends, Perry and Renee Fowler, and their place of business. Both Fowler Pumpkin Patch and the Barn on Maryland Ridge is a relaxing drive approximately 15 minutes from the heart of Bloomington, Indiana, and an hour south of Indianapolis. You can find them at 5347 South Greene County Line Road, Bloomington, Indiana, 47403. The property has numerous picture locations including several rolling fields, antique tractors, red and rustic barns, trees, and much more. Customized wedding packages are offered on their website. The surrounding area also provides several hotels in which to have your guests stay for your destination wedding. Also, Fowler's Pumpkin Patch is a family-owned and operated seasonal pumpkin patch. It's the perfect place to take your family for some fall fun. Enjoy picking out pumpkins, hay rides, a corn maze, and a petting zoo. Call the Fowlers today at 812-327-4895 or 812 All right, folks, we're back. And yes, you'll definitely hear the words I do at this wedding barn. We have two amazing ladies who are both associated with the Arc of South Carolina with me. First, we have the amazing executive director, Margie Williamson, who began with the Arc of South Carolina in April 2012. She had previously been in the nonprofit sector for more than 10 years. She brings a unique family perspective to the role of the executive director 
for the ARC of South Carolina because she is the parent of a child with autism. She is passionate about her work with individuals with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Through her early college years, she worked diligently with children on the autism spectrum, assisting with caregiver relief as well as advocating for services. We also have the blossoming director of outreach policy, Danny Bloom, who was originally from the Low Country region of South Carolina and has lived all over the state, but now calls Chapin home. In October 2000, Danny's two-year-old son was diagnosed with autism, so the ARC's mission is close to her heart. She graduated from the University of South Carolina with a bachelor's degree in social and behavioral science and received her Master's of Business Administration, MBA, from the Cytatal. Not only do they advocate for autism, but they go beyond that by being involved with their event, Wings for All, or as some is called Wings for Autism. Wings for All or Wings for Autism is a special airport rehearsal created for travelers with impairments, their families, and aviation experts. Their program aims to lessen some of the anxiety that families who are flying with loved ones with disabilities go through. Let's welcome the influencers, Margie Williamson and Danny Bloom. Ladies, how are we doing? Hey, Sam. Thanks for having us. Hey, great to be here. Nice to meet you. Thank you, ladies. What does being involved with an event and organization that represent autism mean to you? This is Danny. In 2011, the Wings for Autism program was created by the Charles River Center in collaboration with the Massachusetts Port Authority. And it was called Wings for Autism because the focus was mainly on helping individuals with autism overcome the barriers to transportation or participating in air travel, excuse me. Over the years, the move was made to call it Wings for Autism, Wings for All to include people with intellectual and developmental disabilities. Being involved with this event provides an airport rehearsal for families uh, and aviation professionals. It gives me great joy in knowing that it allows families to practice the airport experience so they can hopefully make plans to travel with greater confidence and finally take that trip they're hoping to make one day. Hey Sam, it's Margie. I think one of the wonderful things about this program is really the opportunities not only for our folks with disabilities, but most importantly for their inclusion in their community and not only their inclusion in their community, but for other people to understand that we are all just absolutely perfect in the way that we're made. This event really allows everybody in their communities to gain access to resources and services that will give them more opportunities to travel and see different things outside of the locations that they live in. Okay, two things. First of all, we can definitely tell you both are from the South. You got that accent and I love it. Second, you said you try to show that everyone is perfect the way they are made and I agree with you. But how does Wings for All in general show that everyone's perfect despite that they are terrible going through airports? Because I'm one of them. Because airports are a living nightmare for me. I think what it does is it teaches folks on the other side how to be patient. It teaches folks on the other side to recognize that somebody might need a break. They may need to sit down and put on their headphones. All of those aspects to the people that can really make the difference to make airport rehearsal for folks that may not like flying, right? Sam, just so you know, I don't like to fly either. So it's a great opportunity for me to go through the process and recognize that my anxieties whenever I am flying are just a normal thing. That shows a lot because it makes me feel that I'm not the only one, that someone listening is not the only one, cannot go through an airport or even on an airplane. So you saying that is very applaudable and inspiring. Thank you for that, Sam. I appreciate that. Of course. What were your initial thoughts when you learned that you were going to have an event 
and be involved with an organization that represented autism. I felt that being involved in with the event and the organization allowed me to somehow make a small difference in the lives of people with intellectual and developmental disabilities by helping them learn about how their loved ones might react to the different stimuli inside of an airport. I mean, for anyone going to an airport, the lights, the sounds, the crowd, that can be very overwhelming. This event gives the airport, the airlines, TSA, professionals, and other personnel the opportunity to observe, interact, and deliver their services in a structured learning environment, improving their disability competency and the processes for accommodating all passengers who fly. What can someone, as Margie would say, on the other side, take from someone who is maybe on the high-functioning end of autism, but again, gets overwhelmed all of a sudden when you put them with the big dogs? Yeah, so I want to kind of take a little bit step back, if that's okay. You asked a little bit about what it was like to be involved with an organization that represents autism. I can tell you that when I started with the ARC of South Carolina, I'm trying not to show my age, Sam, but when I started with the ARC of South Carolina years ago, I really was looking for a home for my child. My child was younger then. He's 21 now. I was looking for a home for him that he would have a network of people that understood his needs and would advocate with him to reach his goals. One of the goals for my family was to be able to take all of us um, on trips and get on airlines and do that. And this airport rehearsal allows for that. It allowed him to go through the process to recognize all of those little nuances that you have to go through when you're going through airport rehearsal in a structured manner. Now he loves to fly. Does he still have to do the rehearsals or maybe not do them, but does he still help you out? So he will come and volunteer for anything that we ask him to come volunteer for. But I think the great thing was, is he was able to go through the process, understand what it was when you had to take your shoes off or when you're going in that machine, what the machine at TSA was going to be doing. So he knew the expectation from when we actually traveled. And last year we went to South Dakota. And so he was able to go through two airports and things along those lines. This has afforded him the opportunities to travel and see new locations. My son in general loves trains. He loves to train chase. He has a YouTube channel for train chasing, Sam. And so he's able to go to other places throughout the United States and all across the world where he can do his videoing. When did your son get into that YouTube channel? Now I'm a little more interested in that. So he has been doing it since he was a little boy. So he's been doing it for a very long time. He actually got frustrated at one point in time and deleted his channel off of YouTube and we couldn't get all of the videos back, but he's ramped back up and he's just getting these trains. He's all of these heritage units. I'll definitely share his YouTube channel with you. Now, yes. based on observations and what you guys have seen through these Wings for All event, or how do you think someone with a brain with autism operates? Well, I can only tell you how I believe my son's autistic brain operates. And I believe he craves consistency and a predictable routine. And this program allows parents can predict how their loved ones may respond when they actually go on a trip. This practice is just like for anyone else. We practice, we get better. We practice, we get better and know what to expect. I don't think that my son likes things to change rapidly without maybe us explaining what's happening. This sort of allows that to happen. I believe that my son has created ways to help him process the world around him. And I think that a lot of folks are like that who have autism. And maybe we don't understand exactly how they do that, but we know that they need time. They need extra compassion and guidance. I'm glad you said that, Danny, because even though I hate the structure of airports and airlines, I love it at the same time, because this is my view. Have you guys heard the expression, the idea is good, change the material? The idea is great. Don't get me wrong, the security... I get why we need to do it. But having us throwing our stuff in a bag and multiple people, no. Why can't we just be Andre the Giant and Princess Bride, everybody move! 
and literally just go one person at a time. I think one of the big things is the not knowing. When our anxieties get increased, it's, it's typically because we just don't know what's going to happen next. We don't know what the next step is. We don't know what we're supposed to be doing. They're busy. This airport rehearsal allows people's brains to understand, okay, this is normal. The wait is a normal process. You have to wait for your boarding number to get called out so that you can get in line to go on the airplane. You have to know that you have to take your shoes off. You have to know what that big wand that comes around you and the metal detector, what that means. I could be a guy never waving that wand. I'd be playing with it. Be like, I'd be having too much fun. The people be like, really? Can we move on, dude? <laughs> what is the most rewarding and the most difficult about being involved with an organization and an event that represents autism? The most rewarding thing for me, especially specifically about this event, we had an event, I heard you talking about Charleston. So we had an event at the Charleston airport and there was a young man and he just was struggling to get on. When you're kind of going down to get onto the airplane, it makes lots of noises and they had a fan running and it really just caused him so much anxiety. I actually shot a picture of it but as I was getting on the tail end of the plane there was a, a stewardess and she had taken her shoes off and was sitting on the ground and was so patient I think they must have been out there saying for 15 or 20 minutes just kind of talking through it another one of the folks that had boarded really wanted him to join and she took off her headset and actually took it to him so that he could do it and he ended up boarding the plane that's probably one of the most rewarding parts about doing this is seeing all the incredible successes I want one of the things that I really enjoy is you notice that when people are getting on the airplane, they're a little bit scared and you can see it in their faces and they get on and they're not sure what's going to happen. But when they get off, everyone is so happy. Everyone's like cheering, arms in the air, hugging. Some people are crying just because they're so overwhelmed. I would say probably the most difficult thing about it is knowing we can't help everybody. I mean, there's so many people that need this. We're working toward that one day. What advice would you give to someone who wants to host or join an organization or an event that represents autism. My advice would be just to take the leap, do it. Don't spend a whole lot of time worrying about, am I doing this exactly right? Is this perfect? Just get in there and make the effort. Don't be afraid to get involved and to ask questions. I'm still learning every single day. I'm always asking Margie to explain things or to help me understand better. And so you have to just be able to put yourself out there. I agree with Danny and learn from what works and what doesn't work. Just keep making it better. It's a fantastic world that we live in. It does. And while I'm thinking about it, let's go into more of this wing for all when you first did it what did work and what didn't work i think one of the things that didn't work is trying to make everything exact perfect, following each step to the T. I think one of the things that does work is allowing the process to happen. People get lost in the airport. People get stuck on airport machines. People's luggage gets lost. TSA gets backed up. And if you just go with the flow, it all works out in the end. Well, I think that's one struggle, definitely. But can you tell us some other concepts that those on the spectrum struggle with airlines? And I can give you one. This is the worst when everything's going on at once. Because next minute, you get security checked. What? 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 Huh? Who's speaking? I mean, there's so much going on in one setting. I don't do that. People with autism and other intellectual and developmental disabilities often struggle with navigating an unfamiliar environment, and especially with the sensory stimulation that's going on inside of an airport. The crowds, the sounds, the lights, the smells, having to take your shoes off, going through TSA screening. Individually, these things might be a little bit overwhelming to anyone, but altogether, it can be downright frightening as it takes time to process everything that's going on all at once. Just 
calm down and go through it and it's going to be okay. We've seen it in a couple of airports, but airports are now starting to have sensory rooms and really for our folks to take advantage of those sensory rooms. When you get to a certain point, you just can't do it anymore. Go take a break. Oh, I love that. I'll be using that. But from what you've seen when you guys have traveled, what's the best airline that supports autism slash intellectual disabilities? We've been really successful. We have used almost every single airline that is out there, and that's the goal. The goal for Wings for All is not only for the folks that have disabilities, it's also for the airline so they can learn to be better for people with disabilities. And so I think it's a mutual relationship. Somebody needs to recognize if you're getting overwhelmed, seeing a lot of airports since we started doing this again, that they actually have sensory dogs that walk through the airports now. I wouldn't think it would just be to South Carolina. I would think it would be everywhere, but they have therapy dogs that walk around the airports. And so when somebody gets overwhelmed, that's an option for them. They're not just therapy dogs. They're big therapy dogs. At this point, I'm thinking just calling them a horse. Because one time, I'll be honest, Margie, I was literally traveling to to a working trip. I'm not kidding you. This girl had like, I think a physical disability. I saw the biggest great Dane of my life. I'm thinking, how are you going to put him in a cage? He must be the most gentle giant out there. I have one of those horses in my backyard right now. <laughs> I got horses too, except they have little kid syndrome where they think they're three years old half the time. Can you tell us some of the planning that goes into a Wings for All event? What do you have to do to make it happen? So there's an enormous amount of coordination and collaboration with the airport, the airlines, the ticket counter folks, TSA, volunteers, vendors. It's already a well-oiled machine for the most part. Our, add in our event and some of the uncertainty that comes along with it, not knowing how people with autism or other disabilities might react to the whole experience and being ready to tackle any challenge that pops up. We also work with our rental car agencies. It's a fantastic collaboration to have not only just the airline, but other agencies outside of the airline that participate in making sure that this is the best experience for everybody that is in attendance. What rental car agencies have you worked with? So we really worked a lot with Enterprise. We've just got a really great work relationship with them. In South Carolina, they send volunteers, they give fidget spinners so that when folks are kind of getting anxious, they have some things to go through, like squeeze balls and things like that. So they've just been a wonderful partner for us. I wish we could do that with all enterprises. And Fast Park Relax too, have you guys worked with them before? Or do you have that in South Carolina? I don't think we have that in South Carolina, do we, Danny? I'm not familiar with that, no. Pretty cool. I'll tell you about it. So you park your car first, get your bags and luggage, put it on a bus, you sit on the bus, and then you just relax and go to the airport. All of our airports in South Carolina are fairly small, but when I fly out of Charlotte or Atlanta, they have all of those kind of transportation facilities from the parking garages to those areas. And it's nice to have that opportunity. Margie, this is for you only. This is about your nonprofit work. Can you tell us some of the nonprofit work you've done? So I originally worked for an autism-specific organization. I worked there for many, many, many years. I started off as doing parent mentor work and working with other families on IEP support, so individual education plan. So we worked going into the schools and really trying to help parents navigate this world that's just vastly different. And then I moved into more of a, a policy work, so creating positive policies and procedures for people with autism. And then I kind of went into this world 
of it not being autism specific and being all disabilities. And so one of the really cool things that we do, we have an MLK grant. We work with abused women's services, veterans affairs, folks with food insecurities. We bring everybody together to do that. One of the things that we like to do in our nonprofit work is really bringing the attention to the needs of the community that we're in. So in your community specifically, what are the majority? I would definitely say autism is probably the highest population just with the numbers increasing like they have over the years. I mean, just from when my son was diagnosed to where we are today, South Carolina is one of the states that does the NIH study, National Institute of Health. They really chart autism numbers out of three, I think it's three counties, Danny, correct me if I'm wrong there, but it's three counties like Charleston, Dorchester, and Berkeley counties through our medical university. So Danny, now it's your turn. You also have studied some social and behavioral science. So what is a surprising fact about social and behavioral science? Well, um, social and behavioral sciences, it provides clues about how the brain functions. But what I was most surprised to learn is how we can use the study of human behavior, past and present, to make predictions about the future. You learn how to think critically, problem solve, and understand what makes people tick. So you're uh, able to apply what you've learned to a wide-ranging list of careers and job opportunities. It was a neat thing to study. Was your son the inspiration? He actually was. I honestly wasn't sure what I wanted to do in college. And I said, well, you know, what do I already know a little bit about? Um, And I just felt like I could learn more and and educate myself even better. What advice would you give to anyone who is wanting to study social and behavioral sciences? A lot of people might underestimate the importance of social and behavioral sciences. So don't let them deter you. You will have a better ability to understand human behaviors and apply that knowledge to improving the quality of life for people and everywhere. I mean, even people in the corporate world, they have, they're able to use this information to help understand the reason why consumers buy the things they do and how to market toward them directly. And I know that happens a lot and we see that ads popping up, but those ads are usually targeted for you for a reason because they've learned enough about you to know that those are the things that you like. You also got your business administration degree. So how did it feel when you got your business administration degree? I think I was most proud of the fact that I was able to do it while being a full-time caregiver for my son. I was able to maintain a 4.0. I was surprised that I could do that. I didn't think I could do it, but I did. It was wonderful. It was not as hard as I thought it was going to be. It was tough. Don't get me wrong. I thought I would feel smarter but I was probably most made painfully aware of just how much I don't know. There's so much knowledge out there. Life is just a learning process. We keep learning every day. I got to ask you that. You're probably going to be biased, clearly, because you studied it. You think social and behavioral sciences have more to learn compared to other academic studies? Perhaps. The way the world evolves, things change, and we need to learn more. So I, I would say, yes, we need probably to learn more about social and behavioral sciences. Numbers are numbers. Emotions are varied. There's a lot involved there. So I got to talk to you more about your boys. How did you feel when your son got the autism diagnosis? I would like to tell you that I felt receiving his diagnosis simply validated what we kind of already knew. We figured that it was time to get to work now, find ways to help him. So I felt relief when he was diagnosed. I'm not sure that my husband felt the same way. He probably took time to process it all. So we started looking for ways to help him. I think that I rode with my son was maybe a little different. And that's what's so phenomenal about people with autism is that you've met one person with autism, you've met one person with autism. And I think providing caregiver relief to a father who had a son with autism when I was younger, it was a little eye-awakening. And I think one of the things that I hope to myself 
myself was all the things that the doctor said to me that day had to kind of be thrown out the window because it didn't define who my son was. He was still that same child that I brought home. What advice would you give to parents who are just lost and do not know what to do? Because I believe there's a parent out there right now that just knows autism for what society and they got the diagnosis. And even though we're saying amazing statements, they're still scared. And I think to an extent, parents had the right to be. Because my mom was, for the listeners see 105 meet my mother, but she admitted she thought her life was over because she never thought I was going to have a son with autism who might not be able to cook an egg. One of the things is, is recognizing that you have a network and it is scary. I mean, you know, when you first get the diagnosis, it is scary. Danny said, it's time to get to work. It's time to start looking for resources and doing those things and being proactive, but it's okay to be scared. In general, as a mother, when you have a child and then you kind of learn that that child's going to learn differently and is going to maybe have a little more struggles in certain areas than a child that doesn't have a disability is a little scary. That network is going to be what guides you through all of the different transitions in life. And then think at a certain age, there's a level for parents that we have to recognize that we've got to kind of let go and watch the flourishment of loved ones. You relate to that, Margie. My mom's still working on that as I am in college right now and I don't think she can go a day without calling me so sorry mom love you but can we not call every day <laughs> I mean listen sorry mom fault my- Margie shut up <laughs> <laughs> I found that with, with my son is that I've had to recognize he's 21 and he's got to live his life and he's got to live it the way he wants to live it and not the way that I think he should. It's hard. It's Sam, it's hard as a mom. You got to give your mom some reprieve there. At the same time, letting go a little bit allows you to see how successful they are. I know when we first got Christian's diagnosis, when they told us he had autism, we were overwhelmed. I honestly thought that we were the only family in Columbia that had a child with autism. That's how much I did not know about autism. So I would tell parents to say, look, don't spin your wheels. Ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask. Don't wait for the government to step in and tell you what to do. Go ahead and start reading books. Find out everything you can find out about autism, the different methodologies behind the different treatments that are available, and then start your journey to find whatever works for your child. Because what works for your child may not work for someone else's child. And it may take a lot of trial and error to figure this out. And don't be afraid to make mistakes or to even say, you know what, we need to start over. Can you do me a favor and go into more what you need by spin your wheels. I'm a little confused on that. Sure. When we first got his diagnosis, there was a part of me that just wanted to sit and be sad about it. I wanted to just sit there and say, well, gosh, poor me, poor us, poor Christian. What's life going to be like? Why did this happen? Why us? And I felt like that was a lot of spinning in just like a car stuck in the mud, spinning the wheels. We were just doing a lot of worrying about a lot of things that we didn't have a control over. And it was time to just let that go and say, look, we need to stop. It's time to stop grieving and worrying and just start getting to work because it's not the end of the world. He's like Margie said, he's still that sweet little boy that he was the day before he got his diagnosis. You can use this analogy too. I just saw it because it's fresh in my mind. Before I started recording, I saw a guy kind of got stuck in the ditch, but eventually someone's going to pull him out. So speaking of resources, what were some of the programs and supports that you use to help your child grow and develop? Do you guys use ABA, speech, therapy, occupational, the Sunrise program? In South Carolina, ABA services weren't really available probably at the infancy of when Christian and Wesley were diagnosed. So I think that it was a lot of parents 
banks that really worked to advocate for systems change to ensure that there was both a public and a private funding process to provide ABA therapy. So I think that we were the family that tried a little bit of everything. As long as it wasn't invasive and it wasn't going to affect Wesley in a negative manner, we tried the gluten-free, casein-free diet. I will tell you as an adult now, he tells us that he doesn't like to eat bread. He actually thrives not eating bread. We tried enzymes, just seeing whether or not it would help him break down food products that maybe his bowel and his gut just didn't agree with. We tried speech and OT, early intervention, physical therapy, ABA. There was a program that we tried that was a little bit different outside of ABA therapy. It worked wonders, but I think what was most important for us, Sam, is that we had a team of individuals whether it was a speech therapist or whether it was the school, we had a team of individuals that believed in Wesley. He believed in Wesley and all of his successes. And I believe in Wesley. He's a cool cat. I asked him if he wanted to come down here. <laughs> well, I agree with Margie and what they did. And we did the similar thing. We did a little bit of everything. And then we stuck with what worked as long as it was helpful. So we did the speech therapy, occupational music, sensory integration. We tried the diets, play therapy, art therapy, behavioral therapies. So we wanted to expose him to as many different things as we could. Again, as long as they were not harmful or intrusive, we wanted to expose him to everything and then find out what worked. So if there were one or two things that worked with one treatment, we would keep that. If there were a couple of things that didn't work, we would just abandon that. Have you ever heard of a play therapist? I believe that's sort of like the floor play. I mean, you come in and you just do things in a natural environment and see how they gravitate toward that. If I'm not mistaken, you might be able to give us a little bit more information about that. Well, the reason being, I said, it just very, sounded very similar and it's kind of a plug-in and a way to collaborate with someone I know and it sounds appealing to both of you and you guys can just try for your son if you're interested. So I know a guy named Jack Mason Goodall who is in the United Kingdom but he does a lot of virtual services and for the listeners and for you guys if you're interested C203 playing around with Jack Mason Goodall but he's a play therapist and it's the coolest thing alive. He likes to refer it as he hops into their world. So if your son starts rocking okay he'll rock with them. If your son starts you know talking about dinosaurs okay We'll talk about dinosaurs. It's just something to give you guys. I guess then you can call it a little present. So we did something very similar to that. We didn't have anybody here in South Carolina that did it, but we went up to, up around Raleigh, up in North Carolina, and really worked through some of those things to really kind of recognize what, where he was in his world and how we could incorporate ourselves there as well. And I think that it was very eye-opening for Wesley's father and I to recognize that there are other things out there other than sitting at a table and doing a 2020 schedule. We engrossed our son into day-to-day activity, recognized when he couldn't do it and recognized when he could do it. And we kept encouraging him to participate in that world. And it really worked out in his favor. Now, folks, we're right back. We're here at the Doug Flutie Jr. Autism Foundation. So let's get to it. At the Doug Flutie Autism Foundation in Massachusetts, people are receiving hope. The organization was established in 1998 by Doug Flutie, former quarterback for Boston College and the NFL, and his wife, Lori, in the memory of their son, Dougie, who was diagnosed with autism at the age of three. The goal of the Flutie Foundation is to improve the quality of life for those with autism and their families. The biggest action they like to do is give grants and host their annual Stars on the Spectrum golf event. Our goal is to offer chances for physical and social activity outside of work or school, a path for education or employment during the day, and the resources needed to always feel safe, supported, and informed, the Doug Flutie Jr. Foundation says. Make sure to visit them on their website, www.flutiefoundation.org. That's www.flutiefoundation.org. Or follow them on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, 
or even YouTube to see all the stars they have to offer. And you never know, you might be able to meet one of their stars if you are so kind and they allow you to do so. Finally, if this was a testimony, this would be my testimony for the Doug Jr. Autism Foundation. All right, folks, right back. You might meet Doug Flutie there. You never know. So, Margie, I do want to know a little more about your caregiving. In your opinion, did caregiving help you out for your future? If so, how? So it did. My sister, my oldest sister, while she was in school, she was a registered nurse. And while she was in school, there was a gentleman that was in the military. He had a son with autism. He worked overnight. And so my sister would provide caregiving overnight to this young man. As she started kind of going through clinicals, it kind of changed the times that she was available to be there for him. And so I was 17 and she said, I just think that you're going to be fantastic fantastic with this gentleman. I learned a lot. I learned how incredible it was when I was trying to hide dry cereal, Sam, in a cabinet in the kitchen, and I would put it in a different cabinet. And the young man that I worked with knew what cabinet I put it in by the way that when I opened up the cabinet door. And so I learned so much about how incredibly smart this guy was, knowing just by sound what cabinet I'd put that dry cereal. So his dad had tasked me to not let him eat dry cereal like all day long. And so I thought that I was going to be witty and hide it in a cabinet. But man, that kid knew every single cabinet and the noises it made. And so I think that recognizing at that age how incredible it was when I was in high school, Sam, to be honest with you, I mean, I graduated high school in the early 90s. And so I had a young man that actually didn't know that we had a special education classroom at our high school because they were so segregated from the rest of the school. And I'd had a significant operation done. And so I had to leave all of my classes early because I was trying to get from one class to the other without having all these kids hitting my leg that would cause additional damage to it. I met this young man that was in my school and he used crutches and I left Algebra 2 every day the same time and he was leaving early to get to his next class and we became really good friends. Ultimately, we would race each other down the hallway, me in my wheelchair and him using his crutches. Fast forward, I've graduated. I'm at my 30 year class reunion right now and we're still very good friends and we talk at least twice a week. Yeah, but you said they were segregated? That just makes I mean, me mad, but continue. It makes me mad now. It's a totally different world 30 years ago versus where we are today. There was a classroom on the other side of the cafeteria. And in high school, a lot of students don't eat in the cafeteria. You go to the canteen, right? And then you go outside. This classroom was on the other side of the cafeteria and we weren't even aware of it. So I want to go back to Danny picking on her now. Sorry, Danny. Not really. <laughs> uh, I heard you use a lot of through YouTube, Lawyer Lisa. So how did Lawyer Lisa help you? Well, Lawyer Lisa is an attorney here in South Carolina. Her name is uh, Lisa Hostetler Brown. She helped us be able to sleep better at night, honestly, because knowing that we have a plan in place once my husband and I are no longer able to care for Christian, our plan right now is to have him live with us for as long as he would like to do so. And for as long as we're able to help, you know, to help him and to take care of him and to make sure he's safe. But knowing that if something were to happen to us, there are steps that'll be taken to make sure that his future is safe and secure. That's what brings us peace because we spent way too many years worrying about what's going to happen if something happens to us, who's going to take care of him. Sam, it almost makes you just 
freeze in place and not know what to do. A lot of parents may not reach out and get a plan in place because they're just scared. I mean, we just were in fear because we didn't know if we would be able to come up with a plan. We didn't know what was available. So she walked us through all of the different options and made it very easy, made it a pleasant experience. We just took a deep breath when we walked out of our office that day when we had everything in place and we're like, wow, we should have done this years ago. If you're a parent and you're worried about what's going to happen in the future and you're just so scared that you're not doing anything, that's the worst thing you can do. You have to at least go out and talk to an attorney and, and find out what your options are. And truth be told, I think that's a safety net that's needed because I think I have a fixated interest on safety nets because that's always helped me a lot. That's a cool in the pool box. But I think that tool specifically with this case is needed because you never know what could happen to you in the next few minutes, Danny. I mean, I hate to be honest with you, but you may not be here tomorrow. And what's happening to him? And another thing I'd like to mention is that in our minds, I think we always thought if something happened to us, there would have to be one or two people who would make decisions for Christian. And, and that's where we were wrong. Lawyer Lisa helped us understand that you can create your own team of folks who can work together to make decisions. You need that team because as my mother said, it takes a village. It takes a village Absolutely. to raise any kid, in my opinion. <laughs> One of the things that we've learned here in South Carolina is about supported decision and what that really means. If something was wrong with my car, I wouldn't call my mom. She's not a mechanic. I would call my grandfather because he was the mechanic. If there was something wrong legally, I wouldn't call my grandfather because he was a mechanic. I would call my mom because she was the deputy clerk of court. I think that you learn how we navigate things. We go to the doctor because we have a sore throat. We have to teach our kids how to do the same thing. Our national level has a great program. It's called Center for Future Planning. It's a really great resource for parents to be able to go on there and kind of really start talking about future planning and what that looks like. Right. And you guys do a lot of resources through a lot of events. So I got to hear about some of these events. First one I heard about was Disability Advocacy Day. So can you tell us a bit about Disability Advocacy Day? Disability Advocacy Day. It's held on the steps of the South Carolina State House on the first Wednesday of, of March. And it's a grassroots effort to educate our governor and legislators about the lives and challenges and the needs of South Carolinians with disabilities and their families. So we invite the public to come out, lawmakers, community partners, advocates, self-advocates. We invite them to come out to attend this event to bring about a call to action to help preserve some of the services and the supports that people with disabilities need. So you can learn a lot more about this event at scpdo.org. They help you understand that it's not just something you hear about. These are real folk. We need to think about ways to make life better. We've been doing this for over 30 years in the state of South Carolina. We did have two years of COVID that just really didn't allow or afford us to do it, but we were back again this year and past year, and so we're going to do it again this year coming, and so it's a great event. Was there ever a time where you believe that actually someone listened during Disability Advocacy Day. Like maybe they weren't like, oh my gosh, he's changed my life, but they left feeling inspired. I leave feeling inspired every single year because we have a team of self-advocates that get up and they talk about what successes they have, whether they're in a college process, whether they are in a post-secondary school, whether they've gotten a job, whether they moved out into independent living, or they've been successful in driving a vehicle. I mean, or they graduated from high school. I mean, every year we get somebody up there that talks their walk of life and all of their successes. Well, you got some self-advocate who could probably do it for you. Me. I'm to South Carolina, Sam. You should come to South Carolina. I want to work with you guys, but we'll talk about that more after we're done here. 
I've got to know about another program called the Everyday Living Program. So what are some of the stuff you teach during the Everyday Living Program? I think one of the really cool things about everyday living is we talk about positive sexual health, talk about washing clothes. We talk about how to make a bed. We talk about how to cook. We talk about finances. We talk about hygiene. We talk about all the aspects of being independent and what that looks like. Because the goal is not to place everybody in a group home or in a residential setting that way, but to teach those independence. And so part of independence is knowing when somebody's taking advantage of you or when look at somebody and want to hug them, but it's not an appropriate person to hug. And so we talk a lot about those type of things. COVID kind of wreaked a little bit of havoc on that program, but we hope to get that started again. Yeah, a preview of the session. Cooking a hamburger steak. We talk about how, I mean, breaking it down to the very minute amount of the process, how to crack an egg appropriately, how to use a fork to make that egg fluffy, how to cut an onion. Can you tell us a step? Yeah, absolutely. So the first step is to go to your refrigerator, open up your carton of eggs, grab one egg, go to your cabinet, grab a bowl, go to your fork drawer, get a fork, tap the egg three times on the side of that bowl, put your thumb into the egg, pull it apart, throw the eggshell away in the trash, and then it's take your fork, put it in, push it down, and whip it around. First of all, I love you said whip it around because you're making me think of the nene back in... <laughs> 2016. I'm so old school. I, th I don't follow the popular trends anymore. <laughs> you have a best buddies program, which is fascinating. So how do you pair buddies in the best buddies program? Do you use surveys? I mean, how do you match people? We use a survey. We pair folks. We work with the University of South Carolina and other universities throughout the state. We will find folks at the university who are interested in becoming a peer buddy, and they will fill out a form um, describing what their interests are, what their experiences have been, what kind of activities they like. And then we reach out to our folks and who will be buddies, and they would fill out a similar survey. And then we would sort of match the peer buddy with a buddy based on the similar interests and experiences and activities that they enjoy. And then we would have events each month and get togethers. And not only that, but the peer buddy, this college student would actually reach out to the buddy twice a week, I believe. And so they have some sort of connection there, either by phone, in person, go have lunch somewhere. It's a great program. Why don't you tell us some of the friends that have been made, but you can use fake names. So maybe his name in general is Christian, but we can just call him Frank out of privacy. I mean, I can actually use my son as an example. I actually asked his permission before we came into the podcast to make sure that he was okay with me doing that because I think it's uh, it's so funny sometimes as parents, we just naturally want to do that. And I think we have to ask permission, especially after they turn 18. Because they, maybe they didn't want that information airing out in everybody else's world. But, you know, Wesley had a buddy last year. They both love sports. Wesley loves sports. It doesn't matter what kind of sport it is, whether it's football, soccer, baseball. He's really into baseball right now because my brother is really into the Atlanta Braves and watching that. So they talk sports all the time. But he was paired with a young lady who loves sports as well. And so they would go have lunch together. They had the opportunities to talk about um, what Gamecock football was doing, which he loves Gamecock football. You know, it's a staple here in South Carolina. And so he really had those opportunities to go out and do things. We had a buddy bench at our school, but never a program. 
I had one friend who in school, and I'm saying his name, he doesn't, he doesn't mind me doing that. BJ Yoho, and for the listeners, see a, a like yet opposites by BJ Yoho. More information, but we, I think, share some similar interests and beliefs and humor. Just that sometimes I wish I could talk to someone about pro wrestling. And for that one, for the listeners, see 154 to 157, the WWE specials, more information. But talking about wrestling for maybe the whole day wouldn't make me happy. Yeah. So one of the friendships, Sam, that really kind of stands out to me, there was a young lady and, and she used a wheelchair for mobility. She was nonverbal. She was very self-expressive, but just didn't use language or didn't use verbalization as her language. We had the same peer buddy from the university for four years. And when that peer buddy got married, she was a bridesmaid in the wedding and was a part of that. And so I think that it forms lifetime and long-term friendships. So you also have supported decision-making. So what is the supported decision? Making. Supported decision making is a collaborative project that includes several organizations in South Carolina. We have ABLE SC, Disability Rights SC, Family Connection, South Carolina Developmental Disabilities Council, and the Arc of South Carolina. The goal of this program is to encourage families to understand that they can explore all of the options before getting guardianship for their loved one. So guardianship is often very expensive and it's intended to be permanent. So we want folks to understand that you need to seek to increase awareness about supported decision-making in South Carolina and promote the alternatives to guardianship that will allow individuals with disabilities to retain control of their lives because guardianship doesn't really allow that. You're not allowed to vote with guardianship. I mean, there's so many restrictions that come along with guardianship and a lot of folks just aren't aware of it. So we provide informational materials, family trainings, professional trainings, family counseling sessions, and systemic advocacy. So you can learn about it at sc-supporteddecisionmaking.org. And I know Margie She's got some more information to tell you about supported decision-making. So we need to find support. In our IEP system, when somebody's about to turn 18, there is a box in that IEP that says, do you have legal guardianship? It triggers the parents to think that they have to have legal guardianship. In South Carolina, we have so many alternatives. We have ways that we can support our loved ones in the IEP process after they are 18, simply by saying, you know, do you want me to be in your IEP team meeting? We have ways to support people to help navigate their funds through rep payee programs. You don't have to automatically reach the most restrictive process. You can look at the alternatives. And so I think the supported decision-making is a really great opportunity for parents to recognize that you don't have to take somebody's rights from them. You support them in making the best choices for them. And it kind of goes back to what you were saying with your mom calling you every day. I still call my son every day too, Sam. So, you um, guys need to stop it. <laughs> I want my freedom. Knock it off. Also have a walk. Walk this way. And first of all, is that inspiration from Aerosmith, A? And is there any Aerosmith fans in the house that is not me? I love Aerosmith, but it was not inspired by uh, Walk This Way by Aerosmith. I was really hoping that. I love Aerosmith. I saw them a lot in my younger days. Um, Walk This Way is about getting people in the community together to promote and increase physical activity, healthy eating, and making friends, new friendships. And so it includes people with and without disabilities. You can walk or use a wheelchair, roll with one another in the community, and walking groups. And so what we would like to do, I know that COVID put a, a stop to a lot of things. It's been quite difficult to get folks out in the community again, but what we like to do is find folks who live in similar areas. Like I live in Chapin. There 
may be some other families that live here in this area who might want to walk and we could go to a local park and walk together. And then we have a Facebook page where we can track our progress and we can list of activities that we can do. And so we try to pair people in different locations that um, can get together and, and sort of become friends and just enjoy life and be healthy. It's a best buddies program through a walk. <laughs> Sort of. We're going to hear more about these events, but we got to hear from another sponsor, and that is the Rock 96.1 radio station in Bloomington, Indiana. So let's get to it. We want to thank 96.1 The Query, especially David and Dan Hayes, for being a gold sponsor for our summer fest. 96.1 residents in Bloomington, Indiana, and like Autism Rocks and Rolls, they rock and roll too. Visit their website at rock961fn.com to hear them out. And when they're on the station, be sure to listen to them live on their website or catch them on the radio in your car. If you like Kiss, Queen, 80s Rock, or ZZ Top, I think you have found your station. 96.1 also supports our veterans, so you should support them too. Visit 96.1. All right, folks, we're back. You'll definitely, if you hear them. One of these events is probably the hardest to explain, and there's no easy way to say it. It's called Life Lessons and the Elephant in the Room, and that talks about sexual health. What is the hardest concept to explain during your life lessons and the Elephant in the Room program? It's the hardest thing to explain because we're really kind of training not only parents, but we're also training individuals with disabilities and we're training staff kind of all at the same time, okay? Different subsets, Sam, but I think one of the hardest things is that we have to train people that people with disabilities are not asexual, that they brave relationships. I think one of the things we have a great bunch of videos from people with disabilities that talked all about their desire to have those relationships and what those relationships look like for them. Fair enough. But how do you show them that a relationship is not all fun and games? It's fun to a point, granted. I won't lie to you there. There comes a serious side with relationships, trust, communication. How do you show them that? We actually use a curriculum when we're working with our folks with disabilities, and it's called Circles. And we talk about what's a good touch, what's a bad touch, who is appropriate to hug, who's appropriate to kiss. Send me that. I want to see it because I like to just use that as, as a source and to share that out there for you. The national curriculum, we actually... When we were creating these programs, we actually researched all over the world. We found really incredible programs in Australia, all over the world that had really positive sexual health programs for people with lifelong disabilities. So you also have this program called ALERT. What does ALERT stand for? ALERT stands for Autism Law and Emergency Response Training. And this program provides training for first responders so that they can better serve people with autism in an emergency situation. Every training session is led by a first responder who has a family member on the autism spectrum, and the program addresses effective communication methods while providing practical skills to first responders on how to successfully interact with a person on the autism spectrum in an emergency. Because, you know, in an emergency, a lot of things are going on at one time, um, and we don't want something bad to happen. So we want uh, our first responders to be best prepared to interact with someone who has autism. So what is something that a law enforcement person needs to do differently compared to someone who's not on the spectrum? Well, they may need to understand that a person may not be verbal. And so they may need to write something down. They may need to have a little whiteboard with them so that they can allow a person who's not able to verbally communicate to offer them the chance to write something down. And that's not something that I think most first responders 
think about. Teach them tips on how to de-escalate a situation instead of doing something that may make a person with autism respond negatively to. They would be able to say, okay, just calm down. Everything's going to be okay. Just a lot of reassurance, a lot of repeating questions or repeating instructions. Because for example, my son, you may be able to tell him a list of commands or say, hey, go over here, be still, don't do this. And he, he wouldn't understand all of that. You may need to just do, say, one command at a time and understand that folks might need a little more time to process the information. So I yeah, think that's what drives me crazy is that when officer says, freeze, get on the ground. First, we need a freeze and then let's get on the ground. Let's not do both at the same time. I don't get how you can freeze and get on the ground. I mean, how do you do that? Well, recognizing that people don't always follow multi-step instructions, right? That are spit out at three different instructions going into your brain and turning a dryer on in your brain and you having to decipher what all three of those instructions are to make a sentence to actually comply with it in the timeline that it takes you to do it. And I think the other thing is, is for them to recognize when somebody has autism and recognize that it, them reaching towards your badge or reaching towards something that's shiny or something else doesn't mean that they're trying to injure you. Or they fight back. Absolutely. Not because they don't know. They think in their mind it's self-defense. We want to form a partnership between our folks on the spectrum and our first responders to make sure that both have the adequate tools in their toolbox to interact appropriately. So your last program, I could have used this at a certain time frame, not now, probably back at 16. What does your CIRS program, S-C-I-R-S program, do to help those with developmental disabilities live independently? This is a program that really talks about independent living. And we have so much more technology now. Let's think about the technology that we all use on a daily basis. <laughs> Zoom. Zoom. Ring doorbell cameras, something on our cell phones, like whatever else it is. And so what it does is it uses technology to create more independent living. For example, there may be a sensor underneath the bed. And if somebody gets out of the bed and they've been out of the bed for, say, two hours, maybe there's a thunderstorm going on outside. And maybe that thunderstorm lightning and stuff is making them anxious. So it allows for technology to be used so that person can remain in that home, not need 24 hours day staff, but has a staff that is remote that can chime in and say, you know what, Margie, is there something I can help you with? Or what about an automatic pill dispenser? So to remind you to take your medicine or uh, some type of sensor that tells you to turn off the stove after you've made a pizza in the oven, right? Like, oops, I forgot to turn it off. That's a danger. But what we want to do is use technology to allow for more independence. And the second part of that is really we have folks that maybe work together in some type of enclave situation or they both both work at the Walmart and they want to live together. There's no need for a four bed, two bath group home when we can have two people. Danny and I are, are friends and we want to get an apartment together, no different than college roommate does or roommate after college. Danny says, I want a backyard that's got a fence in it because I want a dog. And I say, I want a gas fireplace to keep my toes warm in the wintertime. That we work to create budgets and help locate the appropriate place for somebody to live within their budget and then use technology to help them successfully be independent. Just out of curiosity, could you? you and Danny be roomies or would you two kill each other by the end of the night? No, I think we could definitely be roommates. We work really well together. I don't know. Danny seems a little quiet. You seem like the loud mouth of the group. Absolutely. That's what I'm saying. We work really well together. Yeah, absolutely. It would be great. So we're going to wrap her up here, ladies. These are just for fun. So what is your paradise meal or favorite food? And why is it your favorite? There's a small restaurant here in Chapin where I live, and it's called Higher Ground. And they have what's called a higher ground flip. And I swear, every time I go there, I always go with the intention of ordering something different just to try. But this higher ground flip, it's delicious. So it's grilled chicken, smothered 
it with a little bit of peppers and onions, four cheeses, and they have this ranch sauce that they make in-house that is delicious. You always have to get extra sauce. Great group of people that own it. Everything about that sounds good except the onions. I don't do onions. I'm sorry. I am not an onion person. I don't know how y'all do it. It just tastes like paper. And I don't do fresh garden tomatoes. I'll do like tomato sauce, but I'm not doing a fresh garden tomato. That's, it's too bitter. I know you're, you're from Indiana, correct? So my husband's from Indiana, just so you know. He, he moves down here. We met each other and he came to visit a friend who was at Fort Jackson, which is one of our army bases. And he has stayed here. 23 years later, we're still together. I'm a Southern girl at heart. Southerners, we love to fry things. I don't know what it is, but we love to fry things. I will tell you my favorite is probably a fried pork chop, mashed potatoes with my mom's homemade gravy that she makes in her cast iron skillet after she gets done making those fried pork chops and fresh little June peas. I'm a big fan of Lasur peas out of a can. And I think it reminds me of my youth and my fun times with my mom. And Southern food's very comforting, Sam. Oh, I can relate to that. There's a lot of reminiscence of Southern here. Out of curiosity, did you do a lot of cooking with your mother? I did. And so probably the reason I know how to cook is because of her. I don't fry a lot of things in my house, but it was always a special treat for us growing up was to, to be able to have fried pork chops or a fried cube steak or something along those lines. Now, what's your favorite movie or TV show and why do you like it? Oh, Danny, I'm going first on this one. So my favorite movie is Dark Phoenix by X-Men. And I'll tell you why. She's so strong and she's so protective over the ones that she loves. And I kind of relate to that as a person. I feel like I'm a very strong person and I'm very protective over people that I love. Plus, I kind of dork out a little bit on any kind of Marvel movies for my husband and I have in common. Is Hulk your favorite? I mean, I love Hulk because when I was younger, we used to have the Lou Ferrigno Hulk. I don't know if you would know who that is, like the original Hulk. And so we used to have a TV show that we would watch every Saturday and it was the Hulk. But I would probably say I'm an Iron Man girl all the way. I like a lot of comedies and it may be a little bit corny, but I love Office Space and I could watch it a hundred times. I've probably already seen it a hundred times. And I think it's still an accurate portrayal of modern office culture. Although I work from home and I have an amazing job, I can see the corporate redundancy and bureaucracy that other people face in the workplace. And so the movie's still relevant. It's hilarious in my opinion. And I could watch it again tonight. It's great. Now, what about The Office? Are you a person who digs The Office too? Um, I do like The Office. Um, not the British version. I've actually not seen that one, but the American version. I We've watched that a few yeah, times. Yeah, the one with, um, who plays Gru? What's his name? Which one? Despectable Me. Um, what's the guy that plays his name? He's he's Gru. I just can't remember his name. I can't either. And that's horrible. You know who I'm talking about, though? And he's in the... Um... It's going to kill me, dang it. Steve Carell, y'all. There you go. Yes, that's who I'm talking about. Thank you. Steve Carell. The one who was uh, kind of a little bit nerdy. I kind of relate to him a little bit. I can't remember his name. Tall. And he's got all these crazy ideas. I think he owns a beet farm. He's my favorite. Now, what's been your favorite vacation you have ever taken? And why did you enjoy that vacation very much? I thought a lot about this. Because, I mean, I, I've, I've been very blessed to be able to travel a lot. I think Danny and I probably both have been very blessed to be able to travel a lot. And I'm going to say this, and, and y'all are probably going to laugh, but there's not one specific, but every single time we take our family to Disney World down in Florida, and I want to tell you why, it never ceases to be magical. It's always magical. Every single time you go into, um, whether it's Animal Kingdom or going to Magic Kingdom, 
there's always something and it's always just done so well. And Disney really just does an incredible job. And then, of course, I told you I'm a big Marvel Studios folks. And so since Disney bought all of that, it's really nice to go into other places and get to see some of those really cool things that they're putting on the Avatar rides. I've been to Europe and Canada and other places, but my slice of heaven is Folly Beach and Edisto Beach. Folly Beach feels like home because I used to live in Charleston. Edisto is about 50 miles south of Folly and it's just quiet, peaceful. It's the only place you can truly relax and be away from all of the things around you. Just leave the world behind. You were talking about Disney, Margie. You know what's really sad? I need to do this. I've been to Orlando three times for a working trip. Never once to Disney in that time span. You really should do it. So I got one more question, ladies, and that is, are there any good memories I want to tell our viewers about? If you do, why do you remember that memory the most? I like a sentimental memory that made you feel good inside and just, you know, something that made you forget that the world is kind of a cruel place and a funny memory that made you fall on the floor laughing. And both can be with your job, with each other. Your call, you want to answer it. I'm going to start with a funny because I tend to like this. Let me preface this. I do not like anything spooky, no scary movies. I'm not that person, okay? Me too, continue. Okay, all right, perfect. So we have a jokester at our office. And, you know, every time starting kind of right now where we're in now and kind of pushing all the way through, say, November, we go into audit season. We're a nonprofit. Our fiscal year ended June 30th. And so we kind of go into audit. They're looking at all of our numbers. We have an office space behind our building. It has a big, huge conference round table that's back there where we do trainings and our board meets. This jokester that we have in the office, I was in the back for like a week setting up all of our papers that when the auditors came in, they could just go around and get all the information that they needed. And this big jokester, because it's a handicap accessible building, you open the door and it opens out instead of opening into the room. Well, when you go in there, it's really dark. And so you have to lean in and put your hand on the wall to turn the lights on. Well, when I did, I turned around and there was this big ski mask and this tall man with this big suit on, like raging towards me. And it was all I could do like just throwing my briefcase and throwing things, just trying to get out the door. And it was one of my staff that does that. We try to keep it light because not every day is light, but we try to keep things funny and keep things going. And And Danny test to that. (laughs) She knows how funny he can be, right? He's a jokester. Oh yes, he is. And so I think sentimentally, there's so many of those. I'm going to kind of go back and relate to my work. I think sentimentally it's those And I have so many of them, Sam. I don't know that I can narrow one down, but the successes of people with disabilities when somebody has told them they can't and they do. Thinking, though, with your scary story, at least he wasn't dressed up as Michael Myers. That would have been a little more scary. I think it's Jason is the one that wears a ski mask, but I'm not sure. But I will tell you, like, he will never live this down. Halloween and on my birthday are two days that I just don't go in the office. I just work from home. I would have to say that mine is a little bit sentimental and a little bit funny. My husband and I were in middle school together, and we would often sit next to each other on the school bus. And neither of us had any idea that we'd one day be married. We were just friends riding on the school bus. We would tease each other. I just really didn't think of him as anything other than sort of a silly friend. Fate had a hand in it because look at where we are today. It's almost 29 years that we've been married and it's been quite an adventure, but I wouldn't have it any other way. And if you would have told me back then that I would have been, you know, we would be married, I would have just laughed and laughed and been like, no way. I don't like him like that. What did he do to woo you? He went away to college and he lost the glasses and the little pocket protect because he was a little bit nerdy. When he came back, I was like, wow, you just look different. We, you know, 
we sort of had that experience together, knowing each other for so long. To be honest, even though he looks a little different, are you still married to a nerd? <laughs> yes. I love oh, him already. <laughs> that just proves nerds are the best. With they nerds. are. That's all I'm going to say. He's a nuclear chemist, so I don't understand half of what he talks about, but he's pretty awesome. Ladies, I think that's all. Is there any closing remarks or anything you guys like to promote? I just want to thank you for doing this. I think, honestly, to be frank, Sam, I was a little anxious about doing this earlier just because, I mean, I am actually really good at talking, but I was just anxious about first ever podcast. I have an opportunity to do another one that's coming up with a group here in South Carolina. You gave me my rehearsal, podcast rehearsal. It definitely makes me feel a lot more comfortable doing this. Thank you so much for having us. This was a lot of fun, Sam. You're awesome. joining you for this episode. Please join me for another episode coming in very soon. I hope you enjoy listening to me ramble. Thank you very much. I waited till I saw the sun I don't know